0: Just gonna back up a couple of pages from where we were during communion. Start reading First Corinthians. I'm gonna bounce around today. So if you have a pen, you might jot down the scriptures and go back and study them out. But I'd rather you hear the message than be spending the time trying to find the scriptures. First Corinthians nine, verse 24. Paul says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way to escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not... A participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one bread. We who are many. Are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices. Participants in the altar. What do I imply then. That food offered to idols is anything. Or that an idol is anything. No I imply. That pagan sacrifice. They offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I just kept on reading there because it's so good. (laughs) It's hard to stop. Father, thank you for your precious word and for teaching us and guiding us, instructing us, gently restoring our souls and loving us the way that you do, correcting us with your word and helping us to be more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to walk closer to you as the end times approach so that we never have to worry about meeting you face to face and being ashamed we love you Lord and we thank you for loving us so perfectly which you proved by your perfect sacrifice in Jesus name Amen so Paul's talking about running a race running a race and, and winning <laughs> And I've been on that. He's been talking to me there for a couple of weeks now. There's, uh, there's a lot of distractions in this race that we're in. Obviously, he's talking about our salvation, right? Using natural examples so that we can understand. But there are things that hinder Our race. And. He's really trying to help us to be mindful of that. Why? So that we can. Rid our lives. Of those hindrances. Those distractions. Why? Because he wants us to win the race. It's that simple, isn't it? Isn't that what he said? Sin. Is a big distraction. That's one of the <coughs> favorites that the devil likes to use. Sin is usually fun. That's why it's called sin. <laughs> but it's a counterfeit for the real thing. The devil always has a cheap counterfeit that he uses to lure God's children in for something wonderful that God really has for them. And unforgiveness is another, it is a sin, so it's in the same category, but I would just lump it by itself because it's so prevalent in the hearts and minds of people today. So much anger and hatred and even amongst Christians, you go into churches and Families will be segregated within the same church. (laughs) Hadn't talked to aunt so-and-so or uncle Charlie for 20 years. Show up to church every week though, praising God. It's not right. Let's look at that for a second. We'll start right there just to. Give us some things to look in the mirror about, talk to the Lord about, to help us to be unhindered in our race, okay? Is that alright? I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 18. And 21st verse. Known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus talking here. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I think I've told you before that Peter was trying to show off a little bit here. The law required that they do it three times. Peter doubled it and added one. He thought he was really something. And Jesus said, no. <laughs> I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. He told this parable to a king. He's, he's comparing this parable to the kingdom of heaven. So whatever he's about to describe. This is the sentiment, the feeling, the The way things are carried out, as it were, in heaven. In the kingdom of God. He said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. Let's just say that that's probably... Um, about at least uh, 9,000 times more than this guy's ever gonna make <laughs> in his life, all right? It's a lot of money. A talent, I think, is like a year's wage. Uh, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, doesn't that sound like us? Planes going down. Oh, God, if you just keep this plane from crashing, I will do anything. Things that even we know we can't do or haven't really thought about, haven't weighed the cost. He could never repay, but he said he would if he'd have some mercy on him. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt, the entire debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just a just a couple bucks. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, "Have patience with me, and I will pay you." Now this was more reasonable. He probably could. He didn't owe him very much. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. <laughs> when his fellow servant saw what he had, what had taken place. They were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Wow. That's Jesus. Explaining to us how things are in the kingdom of God. Now what he said. He said this is how you could describe the, the kingdom of heaven. And he told it just like that. In other words. If you're God, and you have a son, and you love him, and he is everything to you, and you sacrifice that son for a bunch of unworthy people, and then they still hold a grudge against others, (laughs) he said, that's not acceptable. So, with God's children, those of us who have accepted this free gift, unforgiveness is no longer an option. It's just not. I don't know how he could make it any more clear. Look over, there's one more in Luke chapter 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 17, right at the beginning of the chapter, again, this is the king talking, our king, Jesus Christ, he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. I always laugh about this one because he asked them to do a lot of things. He sent them out to heal the sick and raise the dead and all this. And he told them to forgive. And they said, well, you have to increase our faith. <laughs> and the Lord said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. You don't need more faith. Mustard seed." We've all been given now the measure of faith since the Holy Ghost has come, since Jesus has finished his work. So we have all the faith we need. We just need to work it out a little bit like a muscle, make it stronger. But it's interesting here because we were talking recently about, you remember back in Isaiah, the, the first chapter Somewhere around the 16th through the 20th verse. God said, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Remember that? We were talking about our attitude. How important it is. Not that just we're obedient, because that can be a legalistic obedience, can't it? You heard the story about the little boy in church who was over there, playing with his invisible cars and... And the preacher got tired of it finally. And he said, "Uh, Johnny, you sit down there and behave yourself. And so Johnny went over there and he sat down next to his mother. And he folded his arms and he said, I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how we are sometimes. We're obedient, but... It's not from a loving heart. And if it's not motivated by love, it counts nothing toward us, right? We know that. So, what I'm pointing at here is that if you had the faith of a mustard seed, which we do, you could say to this tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. This mountain moving faith. You could speak to this mountain and it would be moved, right? If you believe that what you ask for, you have. When you pray, you shall have it. He's talking about a life of faith. So our obedience, because we're called to a life of faith, aren't we? The righteous shall live by faith. My righteous shall live by faith. Talking about us. Isn't that what God says? He called us to a life of faith. As a matter of fact, He goes and spells it out. Anything that's not of faith is sin. But here, what Jesus is saying, if we're acting in faith, because we're using this mustard seed faith to cause this tree to be uprooted and planted in the sea, or this mountain to move, whatever the mountain is facing us in our lives, we have this authority. As long as we're being obedient to God by acting in faith that He's called us to, our obedience releases power into this natural realm. Uprooting trees with deep roots of unforgiveness and bitterness and moving mountains of debt and discord and stress and sickness This is what our obedience produces. If we're doing it out of a willing heart. We'll eat the good of the land. That's a promise. We have a lot of power. At our disposal. But we let things hinder us in our race. Distractions that keep us preoccupied and. Unaware of our true identity in Christ, our inheritance, our identity, our race. In Romans, I'm just going to stay on this end for just a second and then we'll move on, but. I don't have to spell out the different types of unforgiveness. Because we all know what we're talking about. And when I mentioned it, some things came to our mind. Deal with that. Unhinder your race. It's one of the devil's tactics. To keep you focused off of God. And his love for you. Romans chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 6, listen to what Paul says about sin, what shall we say then, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? They were even asking it back then, you see, people don't understand grace, people don't know what grace is. They like the sound of grace, but they've made up their own, (laughs) they made up their own definition. They think that the grace of God covers their sin. I had one, he explained it to me in his, in his uh, wisdom, uh, I, I just do the best I can and Jesus covers the rest. All right, that's not grace. Let's read about grace. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Exclamation point. How can... In other words, y'all, you don't get it. Y'all, y'all don't get it. If you're wondering that, you don't get grace. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him. but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Wow. So because we're under grace instead of under the law, sin has no power over us. So it doesn't sound like grace is covering up our sin. That's what mercy did. A lot of people cons- confuse mercy for grace. It's good that we didn't get what we deserved, that's mercy. But the grace of God, it teaches us in Titus two eleven and twelve, that the grace of God, which has appeared to all men, teaches us to live godly lives. The grace of God empowers us to live holy lives. The grace of God. Is everything that's been provided. Through the atonement of Jesus Christ. So. We need to learn to walk. In a greater awareness. Of the grace of God. Because the grace of God. That is with us. Is what's empowering us. To live a life. To allow Christ. To live through us. You see, when we're still under the law or legalistic thinking or a life of obedience without a willing and loving heart, it doesn't accomplish anything for us. And it can lead to frustration. And you'll just wear yourself out. Grace empowers Mercy covers. That's why they call it the mercy seat. On the ark. Remember? Jesus put his blood on that mercy seat. Now. See when God used to look down. In that. Ark. There were some things in there. That reminded him of. Of our rebellion. And the corruption of man, the sinfulness of man, the arrogance of man, the complaining of man, all covered in that box. And then when they put that mercy seat and Jesus put his blood on there, now God looks down on that and he, all he sees is the atoning blood of Jesus. And so he remembers our sin no more. We don't sin because we can't help ourselves. That's what an unsaved person can say. The devil made me do it. Because they belong to the devil. And he just... He's the puppeteer. But now that we've been redeemed. Sin, he'll have no dominion over us. No power, no control. That's very liberating. Because now... It means I have a part to play. God has empowered me to do his will. He, everything he's asked me to do, he would be unjust to ask me to live for him or to allow him to live through me if I didn't have the ability to do it. And we know he's not unjust. We continue to sin because we love our sin more than we love God. It's just the truth. That's what John said. They hate the light. Because darkness hates the light. (laughs) And the way around that. Is just to learn to magnify the provision. The goodness. The love of God. For us. Instead of trying to love him. The Bible says we love him. Because he first loved us. That's what empowers us to love Him so much is an awareness of what He paid for us and the sacrifice He made for us and taking it very personally. Until we do that, we'll never be able to love like He's called us to love. We can love pretty good. We might become nicer with just some experience and Getting a little older and things like that. But really loving like, you know, the kind of love he's called us to. He said, first of all, they're going to know that you're mine by your love that you have for each other. Christians he's talking about. Because how can you say you love your father who you've never seen when you hate your brother who you see all the time? He has a, a real special bond for Christians toward other Christians. He says things like, be good to people, especially those of the household of faith. you know It's always the preferential treatment goes toward the Christian. Jesus, even they came trying to find him one day, he was preaching and, and again in a moment of doubt. And worry, his mama and his sisters and his brothers came looking for him, trying to get him out of trouble. And they said, Your family's looking for you. He said, Who is my mother and brother and sisters? And he says, These here that do the, the will of God. The moment that we agree with God, we're instantaneously better. In our soul and in our body. It begins immediately. And now we can agree with him here and disagree with him here. And so we're still still a little tattered sometimes. But the best thing is to say, I, I'm just going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you, God. And right now I don't even know half the stuff that you uh, want. But when I see it. When I allow this thing to read me. And I'm with you and we're alone. And I come to a place like right here. Where you talk about forgiveness. And I see that I'm opposed to you right there. I have some things. That apparently will get me in trouble with you right here. When I see that from now on. I'm just going to agree with you no matter what my emotions are telling me, no matter what I feel, because my feelings can lead me astray. But I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, I choose God. I choose forgiveness. I choose love. I choose to agree with you, Father. Now I don't feel that way right now, but I'm making a conscious choice. And I'm telling you, I choose you on purpose and you have to help me with this. That's an awesome prayer. That is as real as it gets. Because if you lie to him, he knows anyway. But when you are honest like that, you know what that is? That's the essence of humility. Because it's telling him that you know he knows you. And you know that he loves you anyway. And you know that he's the one that can fix you. And that you're not selling for anything less. Daddy, you got to fix this. Well, you might say, well, I'm, it's me that's the problem. Yeah. But admitting that is your first step to him because he already knows it. And he wants you to say it so you'll know it. So you'll know he knows it. Now you can get started. Father, I dropped the ball right there. I'm sorry. Let's go. Let's go again. Let's go again. I'm going to spend all the grace you give me tomorrow. The moment you agree with Him, you're better for it. The moment you agree. Because that's real discipleship. That's when you're saying, I am a student, a learner of Jesus Christ and, and Jesus Christ in me. He is already in me and my spirit, he is, is perfect. He's already there. I have the mind of Christ. Now, what I'm saying that I'm agreeing now, it's my soul. He's trying to get straight. It's my soul. that's all screwed up from the world. It's my soul that needs to come into agreement. My mind, my will, emotions. And I'm just surrendering All. And I'm going to allow that to take place until my soul lines up with my born-again spirit. And faith to faith to faith. Little by little, we're becoming more and more and more. Just like the one we're reading about here. Because that's really who we are. Remember, we are a spirit. And God is a spirit. And now we're being discipled into the supernatural life that he's called us to. And that's where we can really be different and make a difference. We really need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We really need to be praying in tongues. As much or more than we pray in the natural. Especially when there's so many of us that really don't even know how to pray or what to pray. Well... Let your spirit pray. It knows. The new man. In you. Is wanting you to let him live. When. First Corinthians 5.17 says. If any man be in Christ. he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold all things have become new. Now that's talking about the spirit man. Because we know our souls are still not brand new. We want them to be. They're being renewed. But that's the value of... The, the replacement value. When we allow... When we put on the new man. What does it mean? It says put on the new man. Because it's already been put in us. It's talking about the soul now. Put on. Agree with this. With this. Up here. Put on. And that replacement value. Replacing old junk. Remember? How do you get rid of a sinful Thinking. Negative thinking, not by trying to, not by rebuking it, but by replacing, replacing those thoughts. So the replacement value is immense. It brings us into life of the supernatural. It's not a myth that Jesus said, those who believe in me will do greater things than I did. Let's just start with the things he did. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Open blind eyes. Supernatural provision. Everyone here and everyone hearing this. Every believer in the body of Christ. Has been given gifts of the spirit. Several. Gifts of the spirit. Now I know that. Many times the Holy Spirit will use me and bless me with a word of wisdom. And a word of knowledge. That's been happening. For a long time. He's used me for prophecy and for healing. Even old John remembers one time that happened to him, if he could still remember it. He knew it at the time. Hmm? And your knee got healed that night. Nevertheless, I think most Christians live short of their inheritance. And God is calling us in these end times. Revival is coming to the body of Christ. You either be a part of it or not. But God wants it more than we do. And He's just wanting for people that will position themselves, set themselves apart, and be unhindered by all the distractions that the enemy tries to keep so prevalent in our lives. If we could just come outside of the body and just see and just look, examine our lives just like a, a, a time sheet or a synopsis. We would go, golly. It's like chasing our tails all the time. Same old bickering. Same old offenses. Same old unforgiveness. Same old stress and worry. And it's just a trap of the devil. running the race, winning out by a mile and we stop to argue with the hecklers in the stand. And while we're sitting there arguing with them, the people are passing us up. All of the unforgiveness, all of the sin, all of the silliness That hinders our race, the distractions that we're talking about, it comes from self, selfishness, self centeredness. Andrew has a book out, Self Centeredness, The Root of All Kinds of Grief. But we find God at the end of ourselves. As long as we put ourselves on the throne of God, He just waits. But humility, humility is the soil for grace to abound. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humility is the soil that grace can thrive in. So and it's God's desire that grace and peace be multiplied in our lives. Isn't it? Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just book knowledge, but knowing Him. Because that's what the Scripture says, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But Jesus described that in John 17, 3, where He was praying, and He said, Father, this is eternal life, that they know You, The one true God and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. This knowing is that all familiar knowing. that, That very close relationship that we always talk about. That intimate, passionate knowledge of someone. Like a husband and wife. Or best friends. And that's how God wants us to be with him. With Jesus. And that's where we will begin to know the grace of God in abundance, the empowerment of God to do the will of God, to live for God, to allow him to live for through us. There's one more scripture about this race, and then we're done. Romans 12. The first three verses. This is life-changing scriptures right here. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, King James says, your reasonable service to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good Lord, thank you for this day and for this precious word. We just love you and we thank you for loving us so perfectly. Help us to hold on to these truths and to embrace them and let them take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.